Hey, what's going on, y'all? I'm Sebastian Chosen One Burton. Good to see you for another one. You're back. I'm excited to be back. It is right in front of your map. Eatress. Hey, you know who it is? It's Derek, aka Mr. Dope. He works here in the building. He's been like Marcus Hulu has to say. Our special guest for episode nine is none other than Dr. Bradford Colton. He's a best selling author of the Warcrafted Business. Brings his years of experience as a corporate law attorney and a high stakes business consultant and coach to help gamers everywhere speed run their success and turn their business dreams into reality. He's an influencer in his own right through the Gamepreneur brand that he created as a case study. And Dr. Carlton focuses on showing gamepreneurs, that's gamer entrepreneurs, the secret elements of success required in business growth, brand development, and sales and marketing systems. Welcome to the show, Robert. Dr. Colton. Colton. That's all right. Thank you very much. I don't think Kenny was ever called me Dr. Colton before. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, then. Brad, what it is. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today, guys. No problem. Man. Good to have you on the show. So, Brad, if I can ask you, um, and I got to be on your show a couple weeks ago, um, and you've, you've built such a big audience in, like, uh, the gaming space for Facebook, like, impressive numbers there and we'll get to that down the line but before we get there i know your background is law um what is it like to 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 learn coming up like that you were going to go into law and then going through law and then what made you say one day you're going to switch over to esports just a little about your background i suppose sure so my journey wasn't exactly just law to gaming um, I've been a gamer my entire life. I started gaming when I was two. At least I was told I was gaming when I was two. I obviously don't remember that. But I started the NES and you know, I Super Nintendo, N64, PlayStation, Xbox, all that. Um, when I got to college, I had been told basically my entire time in high school, there's no future in gaming. Because you know, this is early or late 1990s, early 2000s. I was told that I was lazy for being a gamer. There was no future in this. It's a waste of time. I'm sure all of you, right? We're gamers, like we've heard that. And so I wrote it off. There was there's no future for it, right? That I have to believe my parents. So I figured um, my future was going to be in politics. And so I kind of reverse engineered that. I was going to go into law, which meant I need to go to college. So I went to college and I was a political science major, which meant I was pre law, pre homeless. So there was, there was law or bust, right? But I got there, got to college, I got introduced to this game called World of Warcraft. And I don't know if any of you have played that one. But I, it ate my life. Yeah. Um, they, they call it war crack because it's so addicting. And I um, was I was playing seven days a week, eight hours a day. I was raid leading, guild leading, main tanking for a hardcore raiding guild. And I like to say I really got my initial business experience death. Not necessarily like in the law and business stuff later. Like my initial stuff was war crack because I was doing recruiting. I was doing strategic development. I was doing budget management. I was doing performance reviews. But this was like 2008, right? There's no way I could have put that on a resume. Like, can you imagine like showing up like, hey, I play Warcraft. I got laughed out of a room. So I continued down like there was a no future in video games. That's it just reaffirmed it for me. So I went into law, and um, law is a really weird beast because my very first day of class. They brought in the biggest, scariest professor they had to talk to all the students in orientation. He looks at us all, and he goes, you're not children anymore. You're not allowed to say dude. You're not allowed to play video games. And I was a California boy, so all I did was say dude and play video games, right? Like, 
drinks. <laughs> like, okay, guess I'll drink the Kool-Aid, do what you say, and like be the lawyer. And so I um, I just buckled down. I focused on nothing but studying. I graduated magna cum laude. I uh, worked for the United States Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals while in school. I um, researched, I was a research intern for one of the professors who drafted um, some work on secure transactions credit. And uh, it's on the tax journal and the law review. I, I really focused on like being somebody in the law. And I got out and um, went to work for a county court. In the county courts, I um, started as a part-time law clerk because of, I met my wife my last semester of law school. Different story, but I was basically starting from nothing in the state of Ohio. Right. So I had to like scrounge to find a job. And so I found any job I could that was out of county court just as part-time. Uh, within six months, I've been promoted to staff attorney and then court bailiff and then eventually court administrator for the entire county court system, for the probate court. And here I was managing the staff and making sure the cases were filed properly and kind of keeping the court secure. And they don't teach you any of that in law school. But thankfully, I had played Warcraft and I knew kind of how to manage people. I knew how to like run organizations. Like, mm. like I attribute my getting promoted to my video game time. Um, they had me on the judge track, and like I said, I was interested in politics, but wasn't, judge wasn't for me. So I left that to go to private practice, and I joined a, an elder law firm. It was a 28-year-old law practice. Um, I, the new kid on the block, I hadn't even been licensed a whole year. And within seven months, I was so good at getting money from our clients and, and getting people to understand how we were going to be able to help them in closing these clients. I was made partner at the age of 27 in a 28-year-old law practice. I think I'm the youngest partner in the state of Ohio. Um, on top of that, I wrote the book on elder law for the state of Ohio, teaching attorneys 30 years my age. This topic that they're literally closer to than I was. <laughs> I probably should have had no business teaching elder law to my elders, but it is what it is. Um, and I got to a point here, you know, I, I reached partner. I was court administrator. I've, I've, I thought I was important. And so my wife and I decided we're going to start our own practice because I, I reached the top. There was nowhere else to go in the elder law field. I could have stayed there for 30 years and seen the same little old ladies day in, day out. It didn't sound exciting to me, right? That didn't seem like a life worth living. No offense to those attorneys who do it. Um, but I wanted something more. So I started a law practice with my wife, and it didn't go great our first year. I think most small businesses suck their first year because no one really knows what they're doing. Again, I was never taught business. I kind of had to figure things out myself. So come March of 2015, I had $600 in my bank account, and I owed $10,000 to the IRS. And at this point, I didn't have a clue. Looked like, I'm going to go to jail, right? If I don't find a way to pay my tax, I'm going to go to jail. And I had a friend, and I was, it wasn't like we were trying. Like, I had a billboard, I had newspaper ads, I had phone book ads, I was networking, I was in like eight different chambers of commerce. We were doing everything we were supposed to be doing. And I had a friend who was also an attorney in my graduating class. He's like, you know what you need to do? Have you ever heard of the Facebook? Yeah, right? The Facebook. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, well, you need to go to these things called groups in there and just take a flyer with your face on it, your phone number, and just put it in there, and your phone will start ringing. Mm. I got nothing to lose, right? It's either this or jail. So, okay. I went to paint on my computer. I had no graphic design skills. I took a picture of my wife because it was her name on the door. It's like her phone number, and it was just ugly flyer. I put it up in there and three minutes later our phone rang. And we scheduled that client to come in and meet with us. We hung up five minutes later our phone rang again. We hung up after we scheduled them and three minutes later it rang again. And I'm like, I need to go post in more groups. So I'll be right back. So 
Within a year and a half of that first post, we had uh, three attorneys, we had three staff members, we had a huge office. My wife was being paraded around the state by different bar associations as this exemplar of how to build a law practice. Um, some real estate investors found us, figured out what I was doing, and started having me present to them on how to, to buy and sell homes and find investors and, and all this. And so we started really focusing on digital marketing kind of while doing this law practice. Um, and I, you had asked me earlier, Sebastian, and I, I do remember that question mark. I do remember this one. How much was I making at this time? Uh, that first month, okay? So after we had done that first flyer, in three weeks, we made $15,000. Uh, we then never made less than five figures thereafter until my daughter was born. And um, my daughter was born a month premature. And uh, my wife had major medical complications. The, the baby had some major medical complications. Uh, they both nearly died during delivery. There was a crashed team sitting outside her room for six hours, just waiting for the call from the doctor that any moment, like, she's about to die kind of situation. Like, the doctor's like, you have to stand there and don't move, otherwise, we're going to restrain you, Brad. And, like, it was a really scary situation. But the baby comes out, put her on my, my wife's chest, and my wife looks up to me and goes, I'm never going to be an attorney again. Which is the end of my law practice. So now I gotta find out what I'm doing, right? Um, well, unfortunately, my wife was also nearly bedridden for a year. My daughter, I had to feed, uh, once she got out of the machines, I had to feed her every two hours on the dot, or she was gonna die, according to the doctors. And so I'm taking care of her, I'm taking care of my wife for like two months straight. I didn't sleep. I, there's like two months of my life I don't recall. It's just a blur. Mm. And at the end of it all, I'm like, finally kind of getting a little bit of a breath back in me, like, okay, how do we, like, restructure ourselves? And that's when all the medical bills start coming in. And nobody tells you when you have a baby that every single person that sees you in the hospital sends you their own bill because your health insurance means nothing. So um, I had no income because my wife had to shut down the law practice because she was in no shape to be able to do it. My other businesses completely crashed because I had to care for my daughter and my wife. And here's all these medical bills, and it just devastated our savings. And so I'm like, what do I do? Um, at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be an attorney because I was never the trial attorney. I was the guy behind the scenes who did all the research and the writing. Other attorneys would hire me to ghostwrite their stuff. I, I ghostwrote a, um, a case that won like $12 million in the Sixth Circuit. Like, People came to me to, to do the hard work, which for me was the fun part. But I had no interest in doing that either because I never really wanted to be an attorney. I was working in politics. And that was a separate story. I, did, I tried that I don't want to discuss that. Um, so what do I do? Here I am. What do I do? I decided I was going to go into consulting because it's not a far throw from business law, which I've been doing at that law practice with my wife, the corporate law. We did that for like five years. And I moved over to business consulting. And so we got some small clients in town, you know, just showing them how to grow, how to scale. And, and it pretty much it, was, it revolved around marketing. You guys need to do marketing. You know, you're not marketing enough. And uh, once my wife kind of got her feet back under her, she looked at what I had been building and looked at kind of the landscape in Northeast Ohio and said, you know what, there's, there's not a lot of opportunity here. Let's go somewhere there's more opportunity. So we moved to Las Vegas, you know, big city, more opportunities. And um, she kind of kicked me out before she came. Like I, I moved to Las Vegas about four months before she got here. Um, I lived with a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model for about three weeks, totally separate story again. As she taught me more about digital marketing and influencer marketing than I ever thought possible while I was going out and doing all this networking. And at one random networking event, 
I met one random guy, and he goes, I like you, Brad. Why don't you come meet some other guys that I have this, this small business with? And that was the extent of what he told me. I knew nothing of, about what he was doing. So I show up at this office building, and it's these three gray-haired old lions of business. One guy had run the New York City, LA, Dallas, Anchorage, Las Vegas school lunch program. So he'd, he'd run hundreds of millions of dollars of budgets and a staff of thousands was feeding millions of kids every single day. This other guy had managed hundreds of millions of dollars of finances for people and had um, been on the committee that helped found Ameripi's financial. It was really cool. Another guy had run this international coalition of immigration law attorneys. So if anybody moved around the world between 85 and 95, like he had some finger in it. And then there's me. And I'm like, I'm clearly the smallest person in this room. But they had a consulting firm. And so they're like, hey, why don't you just sit in and like watch what we do, like how we talk about our clients, maybe you can learn something from us. I'm like, yes, absolutely, I'll, I will. So they start talking about their clients and they start giving up the labor for their clients. And they're like, if you want to come back next week, we'd love to like show you how it all went. Yes, please, yes, I will be there. So I come back week two, and it was the strangest thing. Not one of those guys had done anything for their clients. Like nothing. And they made excuses like, oh, my wife wanted me to do some gardening, or it was too hot, I just went up to the mountains for the weekend, or, you know, the clients aren't going to care anyway, if they get it a week late, who cares? Like, okay, so I guess that's how it's done, big business. But So they give you up the labor again, and, hey, Brad, you want to come back next week? We'll have you. Come back week three. And again, they hadn't done jack. So at this point, I'm like, this is not strange. This is an opportunity. So when they start giving up their clients again, I'm like, I'll take that. I will do that. I don't even know what that term means, but I'll do that too. So um, I take all their client work. And I come back next week, I take all their client work. And the next week after that, they may be the president of their company. And so here I am. I'm now in a Las Vegas-based consulting firm. We've got people in different states. And I'm showing businesses how to grow and scale at levels I never thought possible. Like I was an attorney, and I, attorneys are so pretentious. Like They think they know everything. They act like they're better than and I'm not an attorney anymore, right? I'm allowed to say this. Um, I, I didn't know Jack, and I thought I did, and I really got the education of a lifetime with these guys. And I was dealing with like hundreds of millions of dollars of business and referring, I, I added it up not too long ago, I referred over $2.5 billion of different business needs to various funders and investors and angels. And so I've seen so much. I've helped a lot of different people. But then one day, July, August of 2019, like basically at all the same time, they just decided they were retiring. They were done. And Brad's left on his own again. So like, okay. But at this point, like I had the education. I kind of knew what I was doing. And I was able to go out and get some clients. I was able to get some consultants, some small businesses, some larger businesses. And I had a good income. I had my family, they're all healthy now, they're all here in Las Vegas, I, I see palm trees and blue skies every day, and I woke up August 2019, and I was miserable, and I couldn't put my finger on it, because, right, like, and I had run, run a court, I had run a law practice, I had built another law practice, I had been at this consulting firm, I now have my own fairly decent consulting firm, what's wrong with me, like, I'm the lowest denominator, like, I gotta figure out what's wrong with me here, because... I can't keep going through the cycle. So I go to my coach, and my coach um, asked me two questions. And I go, he, other than the illicit stuff he does, he's a gamer. Like that's, that's gamer through and through. I go, okay, um, we'll set him aside then, illicit stuff. Um, if, you, if I put you in a room full of 100 people, 
you got to talk to every single person for an hour, or I shoot you in the head. Who do those people have to be? Okay, like, well, I, I guess they'd have to be gamers too. Because even if I've never played the same game as somebody, maybe I played the same genre, maybe we have an experience growing up as a gamer that's, that's similar, or, you know, we have some jokes or memes we can share. It's, it's something I can latch on to, right? Right. And so he goes, well, it sounds like you need to be working with gamers. Like, okay, is that a thing? Because again, like I didn't know there was a possibility of this from way back when. So I started looking into it. And I'm like, my God, this is the biggest entertainment industry in the world. Like, there's there's so much opportunity. There's millions and millions of people on Twitch, and they have literally no clue what they're doing. My God, what's that is a fact. That is an actual so fact. I, I'm like, there's a spot for me. So I just start reaching out to people on Twitch because I've been lurking on Twitch for years while working, just you know, watching something, right? And so I'm like, hey. Here's the testimonials I got. Here's the books I've written. Here's all the money I've made people. Here's all my credentials, right? I'd love to come work for you for free. Just get my foot in the door, show you kind of how I, I work. That way I can start to make a name for myself and, and move up. That sounds awesome. I've got two questions for you, Brad. Yeah, what's that? How many followers do you have? And how many views do you get? I had none because I'd never focused on my own brand. Mm. And so uh, nobody wanted to work with me because I was unproven in the space. And it's just BS once you know how business is universal. But I said, okay, you know, instead of pouting, I'm gonna I'm gonna play their game. So I decided to start the Gamerpreneur brand, and I look at the space, and I'm like, okay, there's lots of people talking about the esports industry. There's lots of people talking about streaming in that industry and games and the teams and the players. And I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, no one's really talking about the individual. Who are these gamers? Who are these people? Who are these business owners who are gamers? No one's really talking about where they came from, how they got to where they are at, uh, challenges they faced, you know, the skills they think they needed in order to get to where they're at now. And so I just started, I decided I was going to focus on that, like very narrow, talking about the people who are playing the games and making the games and, and doing whatever. And so I, I then took a step back and I'm like, you know what? I could come in here and I could drop 20 grand right now. I could buy all my graphics, I could buy all the promotion, I could buy my way into this space. But looking at all the research I've done, I don't think anybody would think about it as legit. I don't know if this is the right strategy. So maybe what I need to do is actually show them what I do works. So I decided I was going to create a case study. And so I invested no money into my brand. I started, if you go back and you can find my first episode, it is, there's, the lighting is horrible. I, I bought a $300 junkie laptop just to have a junkie webcam to simulate starting with junk. I had an ugly couch behind me. But my window wasn't even covered properly. Like the sun was on my face. And um, I, you know, I think I used a computer mic. It was really, really bad. But I found a way to leverage guests up using just organic traffic methods. And then once I was able to get some clients from that, I was able to invest in advertising. And that advertising brought me to where I'm at now. So I think I'm at like 115,000 followers or something like that on Facebook which is the only platform I've ever really taken off on, but that's supposed to be where my people are. And that is my story. That's a journey. I just want to say, that was a journey. Um, you know, what is it like to, to, to be like involved with like esports now that you're in it from when you were back in it gaming, when you were in gaming years ago? What do you find different from then than what you see now in this industry forming, right? Like me and Marcus always talk about like, like the esports industry is a bunch of companies that 
are putting themselves out there as tools for gamers to either grow their career, get a professional opportunity, um, you know, advance the esports and gaming space. But we feel that a lot of them are overfunded. I think I can speak for, uh, I don't want to speak for you, Marcus, but I feel like that's something we always consistently talk about. And, uh, and uh, you know, what do you think about with these companies, these teams, the industry as it is today? What do you think about it from what you thought it was going to be back when you were younger? And now that you kind of came back into it after going through a professional career in law, like when you come back to it, what is it, what is it like to you? What is it, what does the esports industry today look like to you as an entrepreneur? Well, I remember being the weird kid in high school who had the Game Boy with the link cable for my buddy and would sit there at lunch with our link cables. Um, um, I start every podcast with a question I ask you, Sebastian, just like I ask everybody else, how weird are you? And I ask that question because I think there's still a stigma, at least in our own minds as gamers, that we are weird by being gamers. Just by simply having this one hobby, we're the weird ones. And so, you know, back then... It was weird, and esports was basically non-existent. If you wanted esports, right, you were playing like Team Fortress Two, StarCraft, Warcraft Three, and the Koreans were kicking your butt, right? And um, when I was playing Warcraft, right, and um, Warcraft, the, I, start, I was playing when the arenas came out. So there was some PvP that was kind of, but there, there wasn't much back then. And so then I, I completely like, ignored video games for so long. And I came back and I look at it now, and I'm like. It's a huge industry. There is so much passion in it. There is a ton of drive in it. There's a ton of money being dumped into it. And nobody knows what they're doing. It's, it's a, like it's people with passion decided they wanted to turn it into something, which is how anything starts. And so they're building these things. And the, I don't want to say everybody, because there are people getting proper consulting or they have MBAs or they know what they're doing. Not, not everybody. But the vast majority of them might have been esports players themselves who won a tournament or did really well or saw the behind the scenes said, I can do that too, had a little bit of street smarts, were able to like get what they needed to like hustle it up into a real business that started making money. And now they're trying to figure out how to scale and they don't know what they're doing. And admit I I, I think a, a good number of them have some ego and it's holding the, the industry back. I agree. I agree with that. Um that's my general consensus. And I usually give my consensus out. Uh, too much. I try to stay neutral, but I happen to be an entrepreneur in gaming, um, a gamerpreneur, if you will. And I feel like that's what I see. I tell Marcus all the time. I feel like there's a, a disconnect with entrepreneurship and gaming right now, where it comes from a sense of like the Shark Tank era. That is specifically chosen when saying that there's no real Shark Tank era. I just believe that we are in an era where from like 08, when Mark Cuban and them started giving companies a bunch of money. It became culture to follow the Silicon Valley pattern. And so now we're in 2021 where lots of companies don't have the fundamentals to prove that they deserve $25 million, but they're getting $25 million. And you're wondering what's happening to them in the next year or why it's not working out. And it's like, there's, they're not proving uh, that that the value is there. They're getting a lot of followers or they're getting a lot of, uh, they're creating a lot of content with a lot of views. Sure, sure, right? It's a lot of vanity metrics. But so I agree with you um, on that. And I think uh, a lot of it has to do with organicness and um, just keeping your content organic. So I wanted to ask you, with 115,000 plus followers on Facebook, um, what's it like 
to grow that? What's it like to manage that? And uh, how did you find your audience and really zoom in on them? So growing it was easy, honestly. Um, to start, like I said, this was a case study when I started. It sucked to do with organic marketing. Um, as soon as I got some money for ads, it became easy because everything's easy with money. Um, the organic way, you have to engage with people. You have to talk to people constantly. You have to constantly be putting stuff out constantly. Um, I think I was posting like eight times a day on Facebook, eight times a day on Twitter. I was I was connecting with 50 people a day minimum on LinkedIn, every, every single platform, as much as I possibly could, just to get a little bit of traction. And as soon as I had a little bit of ad dollars, I created a page-like campaign on Facebook. I wrote a paragraph discussing, you know, kind of my core mission statement of what it means to be a gaming entrepreneur, a gamerpreneur, and said, you know, we're here to change the world. I didn't ask anybody in that paragraph to join me. Just, here we are, we're, we're doing this. I have a, a picture, and that was it. I've been running the same ad since March of last year, and it's gotten me... I think that one ad has gotten me something like 85,000 followers. Um, just not, not even necessarily a lot of dollars. I started with $5 and then I ramped it up to maybe 15 at its height. It's back down to five. I'm not too concerned about numbers at the moment. Um, my, my focus is now on my community because you know, the thing that a lot of people miss, you, you mentioned the vanity metrics. I, I knew when I started, I needed the vanity metrics because it matters in this space. But what really matters is community. If you don't have a community, you don't have a real business. And that's where everybody's falling down. In these that's a fact. They don't, they, they're going for the vanity, like you said. They're just trying to make it look like they got all the flash because that's the game people think they need to play. And so I got the flash, and now I'm trying to reverse engineer it and actually get my community reestablished. And it's great that you see that. That's really great, right? Like you can build the numbers, money into Facebook, it's an advertising machine, it will grow your audience. And that's where we go back to why I see this space as volatile. It's because a lot of companies have figured out what you figured out, Bradford. I figured that out, right? Like ads will scale your business. But if you don't have a real community, games change. People change. Like that's not going to stay the same. It's the strength of your community. And a lot of these companies are brand new. So they can't have community. No matter how good the idea is, they're brand new. So you can't have any community. And that just means that Without the community, you know, what are you going to be when you're gone? I mean, look at something like, I use an example of the Overwatch League. The Overwatch League two years ago, three years ago, was the biggest thing in the entire space. So it's the biggest thing, right? And now the Overwatch League is something that you're trying to remember the name of some teams in your head right now. <laughs> That's what's happening right now in real time. And they're back by Activision Blizzard. Like it's it's one of the most toxic <laughs> communities in esports today um, is Overwatch League. Red, I wanted you to, to... ego, Sebastian. It, it really is an issue of ego in the gaming space specifically that I saw when I came in here because you can't swing a cat without finding an influencer with several hundred thousand followers or millions of followers. They're freaking everywhere. If you go to any other industry, you have twelve thousand followers. You're doing really good, right? But here, you got 12,000, now you're doing okay. Right, so, right. I mean, you have to have the numbers. If you don't have those numbers, you're not legit. Like, just as an example, my show, when I had 500 followers, 
And I would reach out to someone saying, hey, can you please be on my show? I'm, this is my mission. I'm really trying to dispel the myth of the lazy unmotivated basement dweller. That's why I'm doing this. People would go, how many views do you get? How many followers do you have? Oh, no, you're not big enough. Now that I got 100,000, people are coming to me and asking to be on my show. Mm. There's no real difference other than a number on Facebook. My show is essentially the same other than my personal got better, but no, it's, it's still the same content. Mm. So you feel like this industry, say that again. For the gem's sake, say it again. You feel like the there's a lot of ego. There's a big ego issue in this space. Mm, you see that. You notice that. As a gamerpreneur, looking back from the landscape, you can see a lot of ego out it there in the space. The numbers, but like the numbers almost seem to come first out of the point that you were just making. Mm. They don't have. Who's actually making money? I talked. <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good question. That's, that's the overall thing in the gaming industry as a whole. Like, it's not even just the sector of esports. There's a lot of pretentious, like, it's this whole boundary of, okay, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. And we've seen people with numbers don't project anything but just numbers. There's no actual impact at all. And um, that's, that's to me the problem. That's in gaming, in the gaming industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then it's circulating into esports because esports is like y'all saying is like this crown jewel right now that everyone see that's so sparkly and shiny. Mm-hmm. But then everything else business-wise is not really circulating. Like esports, there's no actual circulation. It's just the in and out type of industry where we see teams falling. We see uh, as far as sectors and organizations just going right out the door, uh, there's no uh, there's no athlete as as far as like building their exposure, building their marketing, their business acumen, like all of that is just out the door. Even their health, we don't even see their health being the number one priority. Um, and then there's no translation to what actually a gaming athlete is. So then when it goes into the overall spectrum of sports, we're looked upon as, well, you know, we'll, we will see if y'all going to last another 10 years or so. So, yeah, it's just, there's no age definitive. Age. For an esports player, it ends at like 22. Once they're 22, they're, they're aged out. If they're, they're lucky. Right. <laughs> like, if they're lucky, and like, the, yeah. the entry level is getting lower and lower. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. On the money on that. This podcast, but he, he basically, he, the lady who's on there, her name is Perry, was saying, we're not making kids pro younger, we're increasing the likelihood that they're going to burn out before they graduate from high school. Exactly. Exactly. Really, exactly. It's like, it, 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 the, the problem right now, and it really ties into, and Bradford, I want to kind of reel back to what we're talking about. Um, but to add to what Red was saying, because I think it's just a great point, is that like it's not really anybody doing anything for longevity. Like nobody's doing anything for longevity. It's like whatever gets popular right now, every number the, the top most invested esports teams or brands or anything related, they do whatever the most popular thing is out. I couldn't tell you how a month ago Marcus was preaching to us about NFTs. 
and how many in the last two weeks I have seen of your favorite esports team got a new NFT coming out. That's the hottest thing ever. Look at my camera. Look, it's true. It's true. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And it's like, it's like y'all the ones who got $50 million invested before you profitable. And that's just what we're living in. It wasn't always like this. It wasn't like this 15 years ago. It wasn't like this 15 years ago. I really feel like the state of entrepreneurship and gaming is different. And Bradford, I wonder what you what you would think. We can look at fire sports. We can look at other forms of entertainment like radio and television when they came out. Sure. When television first came out, you know, what was on well, radio is a good example. The first ads were soap operas. They call them soap operas because they sold soap during the, the performance, right? Right. And so that eventually morphed into them product placement and all that. But when it first started, it was just you know, military use and then a little bit of civilian use, but there was no ads. It was a big deal when the first ad happened and people were all offended of it. And so how were people making money with radio when it first started? They weren't, right? It, but so when esports first starts, who's making money with it? Nobody. We have to kind of figure out how to monetize it. Once we figure out how to monetize it, that's why people are dumping money in. Because they know once somebody comes along, like it all it takes is one person to figure out the magic sauce to like crack that nut, make the money pop out of this pinata, and then everybody's gonna follow and we're all gonna make a lot of money out of esports. Like that, that's what they're waiting for. Well I just haven't radio, right? Radio broadcast everything. You can get access to a radio or a car. You can hear radio by an ad as, as a brand trying to get activated in the radio uh, broadcast. If you look at esports, it's naturally exclusive to sports. The top 0.01% of gamers is for blue chip brands, right? Like the, the average mom and pop bicycle shop down the street or, or coffee shop or bakery can't get into esports. It's, yeah, it's, not, it's not a household thing yet. That's there really is there a driving amateur league. There are tons of people trying to drive it down into the colleges and the high schools in order to create that pathway to the pros. It's it's growing kind of on the grassroots level as well. I wouldn't write that off. The problem is, here's the problem. The problem with the grassroots level is that it doesn't need to be collegiate. See, we've seen the NCAA for the last 50 years. Yes. We recognize the NCAA <laughs> has monetized something that should not have been monetized a long time ago. And I don't want to digress into that, right? So the key with esports is that it doesn't need to be collegiate. The grassroots need to literally be a player to pipeline. But the problem is you can't have that with different genres and different games, right? This is what we talk about all the time. You don't go into, and I want to shout out Red too for a little earlier. You said that on the mainstream, when Bradford was saying um, that, you know, all you did was either StarCraft or, or those games. The FGC and fighting games were a long time ago. Yeah, arcades and Street Fighter. So long, 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 long time ago. But no matter when that started, um, you know, the thing is with esports, right? Like, Marcus is on the money. You can't do it without community. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna, because other than that, it's multiplayer mode. Hello. If anybody needs to say that, it's multiplayer. Every game comes with multiplayer. What makes it esports is the community. It's the, that's what the, it's the community. Is. That's the part that people don't get, right? So even if the publisher dumps a bunch of money and gets non-T-Mobile and Coca-Cola and this, that third, wasn't you just wondering what happened to the Overwatch League? With no community, it will not work. And so... Amazon, Amazon is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar company with the top 
10 top four companies in the world. They launched that game. They own Twitch. Hundreds of millions of users. And that was the biggest flop in the industry. Of their, you're talking about their development studio. I'm talking about that exclusive game. Right. Yeah. You can't well, do it without community. Yeah. We've seen it done a lot. Like Capcom is just now getting it. Uh, NetherRealm Studios is just now getting Like a lot of these different companies are just now getting it because it's always been there. It's just that when these independent tournament um, owners wanted that support, they didn't get it. Right. They didn't get it at all. Right. The publishers and didn't support them. Yeah, and then now that it's booming, now, of course, we see the Capcom League. They now understand, okay, with community, same with uh, NetherRealm and, and Tekken and everything else. Like, I, I speak a lot about fighting games. That's that's what I've mostly been in uh, with esports. And now the companies are saying, okay, we can grow this with the community. We see the community as the heart of every, And that's with anything. Of course, community brings culture. It brings longevity. It brings nostalgia. And then that's going to be a reoccurring consumer of it. So, like, yeah, I do get it. Like, of course, it can't be collegiate because then, it, once again, it separates itself into one spectrum uh, to not then go and be for everyone to want to watch. But it, I mean, like, I'm, I'll never write it off. Like, of course, I can see it being a household name. Like, I can see that. It's just that the belief, the hype, uh, trend right now just have to kind of go away with the heightness and try to make it normalize more. It's true, it's true. A gem. And when that listen, I want you to know the sonic boom comes in when you hit somebody with a fatal flaw blow again. When somebody gets hit, oh, I need to add that. That's what I'm missing. I'm missing the hit. Yeah, I'm missing that. But getting hit with the sonic boom for that gem right there. Um, it's just about the community, man. At the end of the day, we got a lot of LinkedIn people. Um, we got a, uh, LinkedIn user. It doesn't say your name. Christopher Laporte. We were just talking about you. It joins, you know, gamepreneurs joining us from Vegas. So shout out to reset Quessy all the way from Africa talking about the foresight of the esports community or the lack thereof. Um, a lot of people in the building today, uh, and Tristan twist over on Twitch. See you. Thank you for showing up. Um, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, we're at that point where, any of you, Bradford, you included, understanding that community is important, understanding that learning how to scale your business um, is important. What advice, as all entrepreneurs here today, what advice would you leave for our listeners who are listening in today? If they're into esports or tech or fintech, anything new, that's what I think is important. We're in the fourth industrial revolution. We got a bunch of new industries coming from sub-industries. Like, social media is only like 15 years old. And this is a baby inside of this. So, like, how do we, like, give some good advice? I want each one of you to give some advice you would give, like, a future person in your shoes. Sorry, Marcus. Go. I focus on the core value. What did you bring into the space? What, what makes you unique? What, what adds value to your consumer or your end user? And... That will naturally define like how you can go and go for longevity, especially competitive longevity in the market. That's what we're doing better, right? We have a contrarian view that esports should be accessible for brands of all sizes and people from all walks of life. That's why 
our brand, our, our opportunity, our value proposition is, is interesting to schools, sports teams, and local brands. And we're just going to keep doubling down on that in the education piece so we can create the opportunity. So that's what I would say is focus on what makes you unique and, and how you can make that skill, which is what we're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brad. Let us know what's up. I would say um, on the business side, have a business plan. Even if things change quickly, even if you know six months from now it's a completely different plan, have a business plan. Know exactly how your business works top to bottom, nuts and bolts. If you know we're, we're talking about dumping money into this space, right? If, if you don't know how it's going to make money, if you're kind of guessing, if you're hoping, if you're thinking, no, that's thinking doesn't work. You need to know. And um, that's the main thing that causes most businesses to fail is they like they come up with their plan like, well, hopefully we can figure this one out in the future. No, no, figure it out now. If you if it takes you an extra three weeks to hire the MBA to do the research for you or to actually go out and do the field research, do it. It's worth it because it's, it makes a, a solid plan that you can work off of. It's something that you can take to an investor and get money dumped into. Or you just have the confidence that, you know, this is what I'm, I need to do and you don't have to stay up every night worrying about did I forget this or did I, I, I not think about that? You know, it's all about having a plan and being organized. Okay. Okay. Gems for you guys again. We're just bringing you gems. Here's another one. Red, what would you do? Because um, you've been had a, you've had a busy two, three weeks. Okay. <laughs> a couple guests been on um, there. Jess, we're looking for yeah. you. We saw you on uh, Red's oh, yeah. show dropping gems. So we're um, looking for you. Yeah. I mean, great example. I mean, for me... Uh, especially being a black woman in this space um, is uh, filling a void. So a lot of times if you see something that's missing, that's a great opportunity to kind of fill a void. Uh, and if you have a problem with it, then that's when you can get into creation mode to actually create something that's not there. Uh, there's a lot of missing avenues uh, in anything. It could be any industry. If you see something is missing, that's your opportunity to actually create it and build upon that and then find other people that also feel that same way that you feel and collaborate with them. I think one of the, uh, just like how uh, Brad was saying, as far as like, if you don't know something or you don't even have, you can hire or try to collaborate with someone else to kind of help you. Because even like myself, I'm a one woman army with a lot of things that I do. But at this point, I'm like, ugh. I want to do that on my own, but it's going to take longer for this project to actually complete if I do it all on my own. So, mm. uh, like, for example, like I said, just try to fill a void on things you see that that is missing or not being represented well and collaborate with people to actually get that help. Because there is a village there of people that think the way you may think or feel the way you may feel. And so try to build your own community, even with that as well too and be collective with it to just help on anything you see that's missing in that industry or uh in that grand scope because uh you never know what that can turn out to be well jim derek hard to follow but so my jim is we know we're in the technology age we know technology isn't going anywhere we know technology keeps advancing do not be the one to let technology strip you from your ability of humanity. Sometimes we speed up the process and we eliminate uh, people in our process. Uh, and those people need jobs. Those people need to be able to eat, survive, etc. Uh, 
uh, so be able to keep your eyes on understanding how technology works, uh, but also understand that don't allow technology to strip you from your humanity. One, two, recognize that in the space, uh, as we were talking about uh, social currency, uh, is the new currency that everyone looks at on how popular, etc., uh, people are. Do not think of those popular people as gods. Do not think of uh, popularity and numbers as uh, a metric that someone has it all figured out. Uh, recognize that everyone in the space, any space, needs help. Uh, one of the main things that influencers and even the popular people that you look up to struggle with is actually having a team that supports them. So be willing to help and be a teammate and a team member because uh, everyone needs a teammate and a team member. And if you're able to provide that value, that allows you to sit on the sideline uh, while being valuable, while allowing you to learn the space without the necessary risk of you being the one that's out there. And thus allow you to see, like Red said, uh, recognize what's missing in the space. And the only way you can recognize what's missing in any space, in any industry, is if you're sitting there able to watch it. And the only way you're able to watch it from a space of knowledge is be able to participate in it. And the only way you can participate without the uh, risk of being out there alone because you don't know the space is by providing help to those that are in the space. Jem. Jem again and again and again. I hope you guys took a piece of what all these quite brilliant folks, I mean, everybody I've spoken to in this room on a one-on-one situation, I feel like is somebody who's inspired me in some way or the other. So I hope you guys are taking it in because they're all professionals in the space. That's the difference with the E for Life podcast is we try to give you guys uh, professionals who do it on a day-to-day basis, right? Like they build these companies. They, you know, schedule these interviews. They keep their agendas on point and they're constantly looking through the space. And I'm glad that they all gave you, uh, you know, advice that I wish I had when I was on my journey. It didn't matter the age. Yeah. I wouldn't advice. I wish I had yesterday or 10 years ago. Um, and that reminds me to say my piece of advice to you is to recognize that it's a journey. It's a journey. That's the most important thing I can tell entrepreneurs in the esports space um, or in any other space, really, at this point, um, is that nothing gets easier. You just get stronger. I think that's the most important thing. Nothing really gets easier, right? Like somebody who's brand new, somebody who's brand new, and they go out to the track and they got their jumpsuit on. They went and bought a nice fly jumpsuit and they're brand new. Is the same as the person who's Usain Bolt been running it for 20 years. They still got to run the same mile. It's the same mile. The air's cold. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You got to run. <laughs> they both are going to have to do that same mile. The difference is, is that Usain's been doing it for 20 years. So he knows what to come and he knows what's expecting. You have to give yourself time as an entrepreneur and you can make whatever you want, read whatever book, do the idol worship stuff that Derek is trying to steer you away from. And you could do all that if you want to. It's not going to work. You got to put the time in. And esports is so new. A lot of you guys are great fundamentalists right now. Don't give up on your dream. Keep it focused. And, uh, you know, Brad, you're a great example of coming from a different industry, switching into this industry, and already being able to make a splash because it is that new. And I just want all my other entrepreneurs out there to recognize that we're in a new, unprecedented time. There's really no book written on this. So... Uh, you know, really take advantage of your time and, uh, keep, keep developing 
what it is your talent is. And you can look at Brad or even someone like I remember Red, you were explaining how, you know, you got discovered on Twitter. Like that just reminds me to tell you guys, like, keep making content, keep pushing. And uh I guess my last question, I have one more question for you, Brad. Um, you know, what are some of the you know, because you've already given good advice on organicness, like being organic. Red, you drop gems on building community. Um, you know, Marcus, you showed us how really like esports can't get into kind of some of those nooks and crannies of like mom and pop shops and things like that, because it's so like you have to be big or you have to be have to build a huge audience, whatever. Right. It has to be the popular game. We know that's not true. And Derek, you really touched something with me today with idol worship. But what can we do? And now, Brad, I want to dig into ads. Advertising. Explain to somebody why, even when you started with $5, the power that gave your brand. This, one, this one's easy. So when I first started out, I had, say, a um, 1,000 followers. Okay? And I would post something on Facebook. When I go to look at my insights, Facebook says, after I posted it after roughly 24 hours, if no one really engaged with it, I had 100 reach. Okay? It reached 100 people of my 1,000 people, and that was it. Or maybe somebody shared it and got to it roughly 100. Now that I'm 115,000, I look at my insights and I post something in roughly every 24 hours. If no one's really engaged with it, because I sometimes put out content no one cares about, I still have 100 reach. There is no difference between being small and being large on these platforms. They want your money. They are advertising <laughs> platforms. That's what they are built for. They are built to take your yeah. money in order to show your content to more people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. give them money Okay, so if you have that, you can spread. If you don't, dollars. Give me three before we go. We got to give the audience some gems. Three organic ways to grow a Facebook page that you would go to organic. If I had no money today, right now, Brad, I can't afford. It. I can't do it. It's just too much. I got to I got. I got to get. I got. I got to get so many games this year. I can't afford to buy. They was just telling me how you would do it with no money. How? Yeah, we need a mission. It's something that you are working for personally that you can bring others on that journey with you. So it's not just the games. You can sit there and just be playing games no one's going to watch you. You have to have something else that they want to follow you on. It's a mission. You have to have a good, compelling story. Uh, you know, what's the most common thing about humanity for the past 10,000 years? We love sitting around telling stories. You know, back when there was nothing but mammoths, we sat around the campfire telling stories, and now today, Streamers, content creators, they tell stories, especially the good ones, that's all they do. So you take your mission, you integrate that into your personal stories, the various stories that you have, and then you pick the platforms where your audience is at. So you don't just start going and hope they come to you, you go to where your audience already is. And then you tell them about your mission, you tell them your story, you let them know that they can join you on this mission to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, and that's how you can grow a following. That's it doesn't matter what kind of movements you have. Jesus had a movement. He had a following. He told good stories. Okay. So would you say like, okay, so I'm going to ask you more directly like Facebook group. Oh, you want like good tool? Times on 
Like, yeah, like good time. Facebook, Facebook group? Facebook group, good or bad? It depends. It's your audience there. Can you, can you build an audience with a Facebook group? Yes. Um, there are ways to do it. Your own Facebook group is tougher unless you're using all kinds of other platforms to drive people there and then now you're doing Facebook on top of If you're going into other people's. Is Discord a good tool? Is that what you used? Oh, no, I'm terrible. What organic tools did you use organically? I get the mission, the psychology. The mission, keep people focused on you know what it is you can give them. The psychology, and I love that too, and I want to tell everybody who's watching this. The tools will change. Right now, in this little bubble you're in, we're talking Facebook, social media, Clubhouse, all these things, because that's what's around you. In five years, we might be talking AI and laser beam ships from outer space, but the psychology is not going to change. So what Bradford's saying is like, keep your mission intact, things people can join, having that psychology. But what technology did you do with no dollars? What did you do to begin before you even put the $5 a day up? What were, what were the tools? I mean, I know Facebook groups are good. I know. So Twitter. A lot, but I, I have more Twitter followers than I could ever the guests I've had on our show. Okay. Content creators, streamers in the East Coast. So I'm doing better than people who are ostensibly were influencers before I used the space. Um, you talk to people. You be a real person. You communicate with people. The point of any type of marketing is just to walk up to somebody and shake their hand and say hello in some way. You have to get people to know who you are. Whether that's liking their content, just like, like, and moving on. Now your name pops up and they're like, oh, who is this? Who liked my thing? Nobody else liked my thing. They go check you out. And if you have the psychology stuff there, they may resonate with that and want to follow you. Okay. Excellent. Marcus, you're talking about how you put yourself out there as much as you possibly can. And on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, it doesn't really matter. If you are there on somebody else's content, letting them know you're enjoying what they have, they're more likely to turn their eyes towards you. Mm -hmm. There's a gem. Yep. There's a gem. I like that. There's a gem. Now, anybody got anything, send them your way. I'm getting ready to get me something to eat. But before we get out of here and before I do that, anybody with anything popping this week, the month of April, April showers, bring May flowers. So you can tell them about May too when your flowers is coming out. I want you to know this is your moment. Derek, you have the room set to drop the hottest mic drop of the year. So you have the room set right now. I feel like you're about to tell us right now the most amazing news we've heard. I don't have anything going this week. Okay. Well, that's all right. Uh, our next guest, we're looking at someone who Red already interviewed. Great interview, by the way. Uh, really learned a lot Thank about you. the process of getting in the 2K League from an insider. Um, Bradford, before we go into our next guest, Bradford, anything else that you want people to know? Where can they find you? Where can they come see this robust community? Some of the greatest memes I've seen, honestly. I love your memes. Yeah. Um, where can they come find it? Where can they see it? Talk to me. Talk to okay, us. So my main community is on Facebook. It's The Gamerpreneur. Um, just at The Gamerpreneur. You can find me on Twitter, at The Gamerpreneur. Instagram is at The Real Gamerpreneur. YouTube is The Gamerpreneur. I would love it if people could subscribe to me on YouTube because... For some reason, people think video content should live there, and they go there, and they're like, you have 300 people, I don't want to be with you, so. Uh, but It's so um, weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It's, 
you have to have numbers, but you have to have the right kind of numbers for your audience. Like right. Well, thegamerpreneur, youtube.com slash thegamerpreneur, facebook.com slash thegamerpreneur, instagram.com slash the real gamerpreneur. You didn't think I remembered that, huh? See? Uh, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's slash the real preneur on YouTube. I don't see a video up Okay, well, listen, the gamerpreneur, we're going to have it. Rich is going to drop it in all of our descriptions. Rich, shout out to you, baby. We appreciate everything you do. Um, Red, how about you? What's going on? Talk to us. We want to know where we could um, find Red Infamy this what, week. What Derek said, but um, <laughs> I do have, uh, as far as more episodes coming up of uh, uncovering Black women in esports, uh, more guests, and also Hidden Code. I do have more episodes of Hidden Code, which is <laughs> on Black, Hispanic, and Native game. Uh, developers or even innovators in the space. So I do have some episodes of that upcoming uh, for the next couple of weeks. You heard it here first. E for Life gave you the first episode of the Hidden Code, or new episodes coming of Hidden Code coming up right here. First, you heard it. Yeah. Go watch that. What time? What day? What time? What day? Um, I'm trying to work on the day. Okay. Uh, but usually for uncovering uh, women is is probably going to be on Fridays uh, and then as far as hidden codes, it's going to be on Mondays. As far as the time, I'm looking probably hopefully 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Hopefully you could catch her. Hopefully you could catch her. Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully you could catch her. I already got the I already have the the interviews. It's just uh, just having them up and ready for everybody to see them live. Well, we can't wait to see it. Marcus, what you got going on? Talk to us. Let us know what we need to look out for Met Arena. I know you've been shaking big things. Let us know, please. Two things coming up this week. Uh, one, I'm doing an encore presentation on why indie games should get into esports now. Um, it's with, and I'm blanking on the name of the company, Exola. Um, Exola is one of the, games, the providers in the space. They're kind of like the PayPal of the gaming industry. They've got a virtual um, game conference. It'll be actually inside of a video game, kind of like the one I, I did the presentation for two weeks ago. So I, I'm going to re-record it. It won't be live, but it will be there. And then the second thing on the podcast side is we're going to be launching our own social currency. So keep an eye out on LinkedIn. We've got a poll that's going to launch tomorrow that we want some feedback from you all about you know what name should we have for the social currency. We're not just doing empty NFT hype like you may be seeing from these top, you know, most popular esports teams. We want to give you something of value, of significant value, with this social currency. So more of that coming soon. In the meantime, we want you to help us understand what name resonates best with you. Yeah, I love e, uh, Gem. I love Gem. Y'all know. All all y'all. I see you all on LinkedIn on Marcus's page. This is your friend Chosen, okay? I'm here. I'm hacking the page real quick. You know you like gems. We drop gems. We work hard to bring you the gems. You know you like gems. Call it gems so I could be happy. Mark is going to put all the polls out for you. Okay? Red liked one. Uh, Derek liked one. We all liked one. Just pick gems. Show them. Who knows what's going on? Gems. All right? We put the poll out, Marcus. Let's see what they like. We're looking forward to giving you guys that and uh, giving you some great rewards for that stuff. Uh, we got some good partnerships coming up. We're excited about it. Um, and, I mean... If nothing else, if nobody else has anything to say, I guess we'll let these people soak on what we just dropped on them. You guys want to do that or what? I have one question for Greg. 
I wanted to ask him, uh, what like what newer game are you playing now that's kind of helping you? Uh, like, because you mentioned how World of Warcraft helped you as far as in your career, and it's been several games. I was like, yeah, there's been several games that helped me too, even through college and everything. So what new game are you playing and you're like, wow, this is really helping me just think better? So I'm not the best gamer anymore. I still play Warcraft. Uh, I have Shadowlands. That's kind of my go-to. Um, okay. Assassin's Creed on the side just because I like the pretty scenery and kind of the history of it all. But I have a three-year-old who I'm trying to turn into a gamer, so I get to play Super Mario <laughs> Okay. And, uh, Yoshi and Beauty of the Beast on Super Nintendo. And that's what I get to play. Patience. I'm learning patience. Okay. <laughs> You'd probably be ready for those Demon Soul games later. If you learn <laughs> for real. For real. For real. For real. Well, if that's it. I mean, can somebody get Marcus? Listen, you guys, seriously, out there. LinkedIn. You guys love Marcus over there on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Get Marcus a copy of Knockout City. All right, please, because... I want him to screen the play. I think you, Mark, Mo, Marcus knows. It, it, I, I, it's going to launch with a free trial, and then the paid after that to the $20 game. Okay. Okay, like Rogue and... They, I want to... Oh, they should have did what Rogue and everybody else did, but okay. <laughs> so, so Derek, I know you're big time in these days. Shoot your man Marcus, little 20 spot. Let him get on that knockout city. He'll be happy for weeks coming up, all right? Because this guy loves knockout city. If I get one more text, I wake up. I want to play knockout city. Okay, bro. It comes out in May. Let's just hook him up. Let's make sure we all put in a pot to get Marcus happy. You got to support your friend. Ryan Alexander says, all day indeed. Scribbles on Twitch just dropped a gem in. You know, Scribs. You know. Gem. That needs to be our cryptocurrency. Gem. We are eat for life. Gem. All right? Look, uh, Lil Zinny Rich says he loves what we're doing. And Jonathan Mason says, dropping the gems. All right. Well, we love you guys. Thank you for coming to another episode. We're going to get out of here. We'll see you next week. We've got a special guest coming. Uh, you know, from uh, we're all, of course, we're introducing our and leaving ourselves now. So I'm Sebastian. I'm I'm ready for me. <laughs> perfect timing how how perfect is that brad thank you for coming on the show we had a good time having you thanks for being here and we'll see you guys next time on the evil life podcast